Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Lama Tantrapa with the ninth teleseminar of our Tai Chi and Chibun coaching program. I want to thank you for your dedication. You have made it uh, three quarters of the way already uh, for our program. And I hope that you are thoroughly enjoying it and also that you are benefiting a great deal from learning the principles underlying all the Tai Chi and Qigong systems and styles. That's right. What we study, as you already know, are not forms that uh, many people tend to focus their attention on when they learn Tai Chi, Qigong, and related disciplines. We are studying the principles. And now we are also learning how to implement the principles, how to embody them. This is something that many people can only dream of when they study these arts because they really don't know the principles because they never got around to switch from focusing on the form to focusing on the inner essence of the art. Now, when we look at the applications of our practices, of our principles, we can see certain practices such as projections of energy, energy projections in certain directions. And we already looked at the ways to project energy in the cardinal directions with the elbows. Now, let's take a look at the more advanced way of projecting energy through the arms that past the elbows so that the wave of energy continues flowing down the arm into your hand. And the directions are the same, forward, backwards, up, down, in and out. These directions are also divided into yin and yang directions. Yin directions are the ones that bring the elbow or uh, whatever part of the body you're using as a weapon towards the center line. The yang directions take it away from center line. You can also say that the yin directions require the step of the opposite foot towards the target as opposed to the yang directions that require a step of the same side foot as the striking hand towards the target. So essentially we see that yin and yang directions have a very simple distinction in terms of footwork and in terms of the use of the upper limb. Now what's interesting about the use of the upper limbs is that the opposite hand performs the secondary movement. So if the primary movement, for example, is forward push, the other hand is performing the secondary movement backward pull. By definition, secondary movement is the movement in a direction other than where the center mass is moving. So if the center mass is moving forward, it makes the forward push primary movement, it makes it powerful. If the center mass is moving forward and the other arm is moving backwards, well, that arm is going to perform a secondary movement, backward pull. What's interesting about it is that backward pull with the secondary hand will empower the primary hand movement. In order to learn to really synchronize and integrate the movements of the limbs, we use sticks. That's right. It's a very simple tool that I don't even consider a weapon. It's more like a didactical tool, meaning it's a tool 
supposed to facilitate the learning process. Of course, you can use a stick as a weapon, but that's not the primary objective in this particular case, in this particular scenario of the usage. What we're doing is we're learning how to hold the stick with one hand and project the energy with the other hand. That's kind of interesting because you might be thinking, oh, don't I want to hold the stick with a hand that I'm projecting energy with? Well, as you probably watched in the webinar, I demonstrated very succinctly that it's a bad idea to hold onto the stick because whichever way you hold the stick, you may jam your fingers into your target or jam them between the target and your stick. That's like the proverbial place, um, a bad place to be at between the rock and hard place. So you don't want to get your fingers jammed. Therefore, your palm needs to be open. Even your thumb needs to stay away from that place between the uh, rock and hard place. It needs to stay away from uh, being separated from the fingers. It needs to be together with the rest of the hand. And the entire hand is on the side of the stick opposite from the target. Sounds simple and obvious, but when I teach, I often see that people forget about it. So I want to bring it to your attention. Now, what I really want to bring to your attention is how you hold the stick with the other hand. That's essentially the only hand that's holding the stick. So if it holds the stick well, you have your stick in your possession. If it doesn't hold the stick well, you're going to either lose your weapon or your tactical tool, or you may just simply have it wobbly so you won't have full control of it. And that's not what we want to experience. So what we do is hold on to the stick with a very specific type of grip. I call it a water grip. The difference between the earth grip and water grip, the grip that most people use when they grab things, and the grip that we study and practice is very simple. When most people grab a stick, or it may be a tool, for example, a hammer, they often uh, use the two fingers the most the index and middle finger against the thumb. The pinky and ring fingers usually are relatively relaxed or they're not performing as crucial of a role. As a result of this kind of grip, there is an angle between the forearm of the hand holding the stick or the weapon and the stick itself. The angle can be close to 90 degrees. If there is 90 degrees angle, the use of the stick becomes exceedingly difficult. The grip also will not have as much power. You can easily play with your practice partner and ask them or her to hold on to the stick and then just simply take away the stick if they're holding it with an earth grip. You will notice that it's a lot harder to take away the stick from the person who's holding it with the water grip. Because in the water grip, the other two fingers work against the thumb. The pinky and the ring fingers do most of the work. The middle and index fingers mostly hang out, just relax. They can help a little bit but they're not performing the primary role. This type of grip aligns the stick with the forearm, making it a continuation or extension of your body. When this happens, you have a lot greater control of, of the weapon, and it also allows you to maintain much greater connection with it. So if somebody tries to take it out of your hand, you won't let them. 
And you won't let them not because you are tensing up and resisting any movement, but because you move with the stick, keeping your forearm in alignment with the stick while the arm is fluid and relaxed. Well, if the arm is fluid and relaxed, it makes it exceedingly difficult to take the stick away uh, from your hand. What also happens? You have much greater precision and dexterity in the use of this weapon when you hold it with a water grip. So what happens is that you simply use it as a continuation of your body. If you can point your finger at something, well, imagine that the stick is like a continuation of your finger. You can literally have as much dexterity in the use of this weapon when you hold it with a water grip. This is exactly the reason why saber and uh, other types of sword and foil and a similar uh, uh, fencing tools or fencing weapons are preferably held with water grips. For example, if you look at modern sensors, that's how they hold their saber or their foil. If they hold it in any other way, they literally will not be able to fence. Well, that's the reason why they do that, because this kind of grip provides them maximum connection and maximum dexterity and control of the weapon. <clears throat> if those, in those days when sensing was a lethal endeavor, in other words, many bouts ended up with one or the other person being killed, those who held the weapons with the earth grip didn't survive. So it became kind of standard operating procedure among sensors to hold the weapon with a water grip because they simply saw that the ones who held it otherwise in some other manner died out. Nowadays, they don't kill each other in sensing competition, but it's certainly continuous uh, continue, the, the tradition continues. Unfortunately, this tradition did not become as prevalent or just well-known among martial artists, especially Tai Chi players. Maybe because Tai Chi was rarely uh, a mortal combat. And so, as a result, many Tai Chi players really don't have any knowledge of such a grip. Even in the arts like Aikido, where people grab each other every day. And I have black belt in Aikido, so I know a few things about the art. Uh, people, by and large, tend to grab with the earth grip, which is feeling uncomfortable and strong when the person grabs your wrist, but you can easily get away from it. That's one of the reasons why in Aikido most of the techniques are designed against the grip because it's easy to deal with. Now, in Tai Chi, there is less practices, fewer practices dedicated to getting free uh, when somebody is trying to grab you. There are a few. But we learn how to grab with water grip. Not to grab the other partner, other person, but to grab a, our own weapon. And what happens is when we hold the weapon with this type of grip, just one hand will suffice. So the secondary hand is holding the stick with the water grip at one end. And obviously the opposite end is the striking end. And the open palm is ideally pressing the stick close to the opposite end. If the stick is longer than, let's say, the length of your arm, you may not be able to reach the opposite end perfectly, but at least being close to it helps. Why? Because if you're too far away from the opposite end, if your hands are too close together, 
you will have a disadvantageous leverage. The leverage will be too long, so you will be applying a lot of force and not getting much uh, work done. So what happens as a result? We learn how to find the sweet spot along the length of the stick that works with the maximum power, but at the same time, it's still not stretching yourself too thin. You're not putting the arms or the hands too far away from each other. The only exception from this is the backward pull. As I mentioned, uh, the forward push is done with one hand while the opposite hand is holding the stick. And in the backward pull, both hands are holding the stick. You simply slide primary hand closer to the secondary hand. And the reason why you do that is so that the end of the stick would actually stick out. <laughs> That's probably why they call it a stick, because it should stick out beyond your elbow. The elbow that you were previously using to project energy backwards with a backward pull, with the elbow strike behind you. Now, the stick sticks beyond that elbow. And basically, that's why you can strike the target with the stick rather than your arm. If the stick sticks out, the main consideration is, well, there are two main considerations. One is that it is parallel, the forearm of the primary arm. In other words, it should be uh, going just directly along uh, the bones of the lower arm and stick out right next to the elbow. If it's anywhere else, well, you're welcome to test what's going to happen if the stick is elsewhere. You probably will notice that it has a lot less stability, you have less control over it. And the secondary or the second consideration to have about uh, the backward pull is that the palms are facing an opposing direction. <clears throat> so the primary hand is grabbing the stick from underneath, so the palm is facing up. And the secondary hand is on the opposite side of the stick. On top of the stick, the palm facing downward. This makes this basically is the same principle as we use in all of the other movements as well. That palms or la gong points of the palms are facing an opposing direction as much as humanly possible. In other words, if the palms are facing in the same direction, you will have much less control over the stick again. The stick will be easy to take out of your hand, or you strike a target and actually lose it. You may even rip the stick out of your own hand sometimes if you push with one hand and the lagoon point of the secondary hand is pointing in the same direction. So you certainly don't want to do that, although you're welcome to test and experiment and find out what happens if you do that. You simply want to maintain solid connection to the stick and maintain the control over the weapon throughout the movement. And that is accomplished by keeping the palms facing in opposing directions. So in the backward pull, one palm is facing up, another one is facing down. In the forward push, the hand that's holding the stick is holding it with the, the same grip as in backward pull, the other hand is pushing forward. The stick will eventually start tilting downward, so the angle will change from forward to kind of slanted downward movement. And that's what we also do in our forward push strike. We move forward and then relax downwards and then go back. So forward push is the beginning of a backward pull just like the backward pull is the beginning of forward push. As a matter of fact, you can smoothly transition from doing forward push to backward pull, and again, forward push with the same hand, 
holding the stick with the opposite hand all the time. You can also do the same combinations with other uh, pairs of movement, for example, the closing and opening, or uppercut and downward press. For instance, if you're making a closing, the hand that's holding the stick is uh, holding the stick essentially with an opening. It's performing a secondary movement called opening, but because it's holding the stick, obviously it's going to be doing the secondary, playing the secondary role. It's important to make sure that elbow is higher than your hand, higher than the hand that's holding the stick. That's going to allow the stick to basically slant downward at an angle. And that's exactly where it needs to be because that's where the opposite hand is driving the stick in a circular motion around you. I sometimes jokingly call it the sweeping motion. It's like imagine if you have a broom attached to the end of the stick, the striking end of the stick. You can imagine sweeping the floor with that broom, creating basically a circle around you, or at least semi-circle because you don't want to spin 360 degrees, but you may spin anything from 90 to 180 degrees using the natural turn. And the palm of the striking hand drives the stick not away from you as in the forward push, but around you and then brings it closer to you. Hence the name, closing. So as you bring the stick closer to you, the palm turns towards you at the same time as the palm of the opposite hand faces away from you. So again, this will prevent you from ripping the stick out of your own hand. Similarly, you can also perform the opening, which is the reversal of closing. Opening, unlike the closing, operates in a different plane. Uh, closing works particularly well in horizontal plane, or as you may recall in our previous module of our program, we were painting circles on horizontal or slanted uh, drafting table. The opening works particularly well on the vertical plane, basically a throttle plane, just like you were painting circles in front of you, in a movement similar to cloud hands. But because you're holding the stick, now one hand is holding the stick with the palm facing towards you, and the opposite hand is pushing the other end of the stick away from you directly sideways. It moves up and sideways and down. That is what makes it the primary movement, because your center mass also goes up, usually at the time when you tap the ground, then you start moving sideways, your foot is still up in the air, it starts going down, obviously your center mass goes down because you're pivoting around essentially this foot uh, that you're standing on the ground with, the other foot is still up in the air, and as your center of mass starts going down, the hand also starts going further and further down. That creates the alignment of the, your movement of the hand with the direction of the center mass. That's exactly what makes it a powerful movement. And again, you can sweep the ground after that. So opening is the beginning of closing. Is a complete opening? You can make a closing with the same arm. You can also switch. Of course, you can do, for example, opening with one arm, then grab a hold of the stick with a hand that just completed the opening. Make sure that you do that with a water grip. Open the palm of the other hand. You're no longer holding the stick with that hand. And perform the opening in the opposite direction, directly opposite 180 degrees. Uh, what's going to happen is that basically you will be able to perform a series of openings going from one side to the other side. You can do the same 
with other movements, for example, clothing. You can make clothing in one direction and then switch the position of the hand so that the hand that was sweeping, that was making clothing, now holds the stick with the elbow higher than the hand and sweep in the opposite direction with the opposite hand, making a natural turn in reverse. You can also do the same with the forward push. For example, switching from forward push with one hand to a forward push with the other hand. And this can be a cascade of strikes, one following the other, if you choose to go forward with a series of forward pushes. You can do the same thing in the reverse with backward pulls. You usually don't chase after people backwards, but it's possible to do a series of backward pulls, simply switching hands. In this case, both hands are holding the stick. You just simply slide the hands from one end of the stick to the other end of the stick as you tap the ground and step backwards with the same side foot as the hand that's prim- that is performing primary movement. This also can be done with downward presses or uppercuts. Let's take a look at the downward press. It's a movement similar in sense to a forward push, except there is no component of the movement going forward. It's actually all dedicated to driving the stick downwards. Remember, in, in forward push, there was forward and down movement. Well, in downward press, the forward movement is missing, and the downward and somewhat spiraling motion is what constitutes the primary movement. Obviously, you need to bend your knees. That's one of uh, the encouragements that I always give to my students. Don't bend over, bend your knees. The reason for that is really obvious. If you bend over, the center of mass, which is located around your pelvis, doesn't really move down that, that much. And so even if you're trying to make the motions with your hands, those will not be primary movement. You will not have power. However, if you bend your knees, you will have power because your center of mass is moving down. Both knees need to bend so that you're not traveling forward as in forward push, where the back leg is straight, but actually you're dropping more or less directly downward or spiraling in a way similar to the movement with closing, but again, less concerned about the turning motion and much more downward direction. When you perform downward press, you need to hold the stick with the secondary hand. And it's almost the same or virtually the same as the way that you hold the stick when you perform a forward push. Basically, it's almost like a a backward pull. Except now, we say, well, log on point of the secondary hand is pointing upwards. That is basically like the miniature uppercut, or it's a secondary movement. It doesn't really do much in terms of topward motion but at least it points in that direction. What's crucial about downward press that most people miss and uh, like uh, the Tai Chi move, um, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, picking up the needle on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, There are all these flowery names in Tai Chi forms. (laughs) The movement needs to be done with elbow first. You know, that's why we study how to make energy projections with elbows before we study how to make the movements with the hands. It's because the elbows need to go first in most cases. Not in all, but in most cases, the elbow actually has to move first. Without that movement, if your hand is moving first, you will have a heck of a time trying to perform a downward press with any degree of power. You will probably be using force, tensing up your triceps of the 
pushing arm. Instead of that, we're learning how to relax the arm or keep it relatively relaxed and drop the elbow first. As a matter of fact, the center mass actually moves first downwards, and then, of course, shoulders are attached to the torso, so the shoulders move simultaneously with the center mass dropping. The elbow goes down with the shoulders, and then this movement translates into the hand, and that is what's going to make the primary movement powerful. If your hand is resting on the stick that you're striking with, all you need to do is just to make sure that the law of both points is pointing directly downwards. Sometimes there is a tendency if the elbow is leading and the hand is following to not align the law of one point with the direction downward, and that basically creates a kind of an oblique strike instead of a downward strike. We want to create a downward strike. Another thing about downward press is you definitely need to look in the direction where you're striking, just looking at your target, looking at the tool that you're striking with, the hand that you're using for primary movement. In other words, where attention goes, energy flows. If you're looking elsewhere, well, you will have different results. You're welcome to experiment. Look somewhere else. Look out the window. Look at the sky. Uh, look uh, at your practice partner's eyes while performing downward press. See what kind of results you get. I'm pretty sure that you will notice a major difference in terms of the results depending on where you look. Now, downward press, as you already know, is the beginning of the uppercut. The switch from performing downward press with the same hand as the uppercut with the same hand. All you need to do is to turn the stick around with the hands kind of stuck to the stick. <laughs> you can imagine that the hands are almost glued to the stick, or at least they are moving simultaneously as the stick is rotating. So the holding hand turns instead of holding the stick so that the palm is facing upward, it pronates, so the palm turns downward. The opposite hand moves so that instead of being on top of the stick, now it's below the stick. It's still on your center line, but it's below the stick. It's as if you are holding the stick in your palm, or like I usually make a... Uh, comparison to holding a gift or if you're a server in a restaurant, for example, holding a tray of food. This will allow you to project energy upwards because the law of point of primary hand is not pointing upwards. Because you have just completed downward press, your center mass is pretty low because it needs a bet. You need to step with the same size foot under your striking hand. Basically, if it's uh, a target like a, a human body, then you would step in between the opponent's feet so that you could strike directly from below into the chin. If the person, if, if you're not working on the person, if you're just making these movements in thin air, that's fine. Just simply make sure that you step with the same side foot underneath the hand that's about to perform the uppercut. Because the hand is on the center line, the foot also will be on the center line. And that's exactly where it needs to be because you also bring a little bit more weight than 50% onto that foot. Not a lot more, but anywhere between 50 and 60% would suffice for the moment. You will bring more weight on it in just a split second because what you're going to do next is you're going to start lifting the hand. And as you know, the uppercut moves sideways. 
the hand moved sideways in its uh, previous uh, couple of uh, modules we were looking at uppercuts where the hand just simply slides behind the back of the neck. Well, here you're not going to slide behind, behind the back of your neck because the hand stays under the stick, but it's going to rotate so that your thumb turns towards your head. Initially, the fingers and thumb point away from your torso when your hand is on the center line below the stick. And as you start moving the hand sideways, the thumb turns towards your head. And the hand comes up to the shoulder height. The opposite hand uh, is on top of the stick, holding the stick with a water grip, palm downward. It actually goes to the center line. And it needs to be at the height that will allow you to reach the target without uh, too much trouble. So if the target is too high, taller than you, for example, you need to angle the stick a little bit so that uh, the striking end of the stick would be higher. You can accomplish that by lowering your holding the secondary hand. If the target is not very tall, for example, about your height, then your holding hand actually needs to be higher so that the secondary hand that's holding the stick actually is about chest height. And that's an important little detail because sometimes I see people performing this uppercut and literally just uh, the stick is moving almost vertically. And that's not what you want. You don't want to put it vertically also because you won't be able to turn your palm that way. Your palm needs to point upwards. That's the direction of energy projection. So in a sense, you're kind of moving with a stick as if you're going to pop the lid or pry the head away from the opponent's torso. Sounds gruesome, but that's essentially what we are doing when we're delivering an impact with the stick into the chin of the opponent, if this is uh, the martial arts application of this moment. Obviously, there are plenty of other applications that require the ability to move the energy upwards. For example, if you're just lifting something up, well, that's an uppercut. But in this particular case, we want to deliver an impact into the target with quite a bit of uh, energy. Where do we get this energy from? As you may recall from the study of elbow strikes, you pivot on the ball of the foot. So when your hand moves upwards and sideways, you turn sideways towards the target at the same time. That essentially makes it so that the hand moves directly upwards in relation to the target but it ends up on the side of your body because you turn the side of the body towards the opponent. Your weight-bearing foot is the foot that's in front of you and you pivot on the ball of that foot so that the toes are pointing where the center line is pointing, which means you turn about 90 degrees. And that's kind of interesting that you are keeping yourself on the ball of that foot your weight is shifting more and more on that leg up to 100% or up to 90% maybe of your weight can shift to the front foot. But what is the most important detail is, of course, dropping the heel down into the ground, straightening that leg. The rebounding effect will push the hip upwards when the hip goes upwards, the shoulder will go upwards. When the shoulder goes upwards, the elbow and the hand will follow. So what happens as a result is a chain reaction going from the ground, boom, 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 and transmitting this energy all the way to the stick. If your stick is at the right place, it doesn't have to travel far upwards 
for example, if you hit the target, let's say you hit your opponent into the chin, it doesn't really have to pry the head away from the torso. It's enough to just deliver impact, maybe two or three centimeters, just one inch or so, of moving the head in that direction. That already will create a whiplash and potentially a brain concussion. So if you are doing this as a self-defense maneuver, I definitely encourage you to focus on the impact, not on the distance that you travel. Now, what's going to happen is interesting. Once you've delivered impact, you can immediately relax. And this arm that just went upward can perform a downward press. If you just simply switch again, turning the uh, hand that's holding the stick now in, with supination, so the palm is facing upward, the striking hand can turn down, the palm downward, so the hand now is above the stick and you can simply complete the strike now instead of going upwards, going down. And you can see how the downward press is the beginning of uppercut. The uppercut is the beginning of downward press. You can also make downward press in a different direction. For example, strike a different opponent. You can also perform an uppercut, for example, with the opposite hand. That's that to you being confronted by two assailants on both sides. Or two, two assailants, one on each side. Then you can deliver impact into the chin of one of them with the uppercut with one hand. And then quickly switch hands and go in the opposite direction and deliver uh, impact into the chin of the other opponent with an uppercut with the other hand. Uh, it's not always uh, a practical thing to do, to do the uppercuts in two opposing directions, but it's certainly something that's good to know. Obviously, I don't think there is a particular technique uh, in the uh, Tai Chi forms that looks precisely like this. But pairing or parting of the horse's mane is basically the combination of uppercut with one hand and downward press with the other hand. Now, depending on which direction your center of mass is moving, one of them or the other will become the primary movement. If the center of mass is moving upwards, then parting the horse's mane will turn into an uppercut. You just need to add that little stump into the ground with the heel, which is not present in most Tai Chi forms. Or you can drop the center of mass, and then the opposite hand will be able to perform downward press. So essentially, you can see how uh, if we understand the principles, then we can see that there are some functional details that can be found in Tai Chi forms. They're just hidden, often obscured, and often have names that are completely uh, uh, counterproductive. Well, obviously, playing with a horse's mane is not something that most people consider uh, a strike. Now, some people may understand that this can be a strike, but few people actually look at it this way. And definitely without understanding of the primary and secondary movements, uh, this is very difficult to manifest it into a strike. Now, the same thing applies to many other moves. For example, a repulse the monkey. It's obviously a backward pull. The backward pull done with the movement of the same side leg stepping backward. That essentially is uh, the definition of primary movement. But the name of this move is Repulse the Monkey. So the attention of the players is directed towards the secondary movement, which is forward push. You don't really have any power in that hand. 
you don't really have the ability to repulse any monkeys with a hand very well because you're moving backwards. So there's kind of a uh, tricky naming of the different parts of the forms or different moves within the form actually distracts attention. And as I mentioned many, many times, it basically focuses your attention on the form instead of the essence. Just like brush the knee. The knee brushing technique has really nothing to do with the power of the forward push, which is the primary movement in that move. It is really, it should be called forward push or on because that's the nature of that move. The brushing motion of the secondary hand is really uh, uh, pointless. It's not even secondary, it's tertiary because it's not even moving in the direction backwards that would help the forward push. It's just doing something back there, uh, down there by the knee. Maybe it's supposed to be a block. Although in Tai Chi, ideally you wouldn't be blocking things. It would be just simply letting things slide past you as you reposition your body in a way that you take yourself out of harm's way. Now, we will study how to do that, but before we get into the self-defense techniques, we want to learn how to deliver strikes not only with sticks, but also with open palms. Open palms are easy as long as you know how to strike with a stick. As a matter of fact, that's exactly why I teach how to strike with a stick because it's a, a perfect transition from elbow strikes to uh, open hand strikes. It's a perfect transition because it still utilizes the same dynamics and movement as elbow strikes, but you actually are learning how to strike with a hand. And sending waves all the way to the hand is exactly what makes it basically the, the intermediate step leading up to striking with open palm. Now, the backward pull is the only exception here. We're not striking with the palm. We're actually pulling, hence the name of the movement. So you can use the backward pull for pulling somebody. That's exactly what we do in the repulse the monkey mode. Now, the pulling action obviously will have power because your center mass is moving backwards. And if you use it, for example, in self-defense, you simply catch the arm that is striking you and you pull it further than the opponent anticipated to go. That's just one of many examples of how we use our movements in the same direction where the energy is already flowing. In this case, it's not even our own energy, it's the energy of another person. If our opponent is striking and we go against their energy flow, there's going to be a collision or impact. That's what they want. They want to strike us. If we collide with them, somebody's going to get hurt. Most likely both parties will get hurt. What we want is not to hurt ourselves, and we don't even need to hurt our opponent. But we can take their movement and move it in the direction where they're already moving. So, like I already said, you can use the forward push as a secondary movement. You can simply kind of receive the strike with that hand. The initial connection with the strike actually happens with the forward push. You touch the hand, but you keep your palm open. You don't grab. You touch the hand, and you simply move with that hand in the same direction, more or less at the same speed. That means there's not going to be there's not going to be any impact or collision. You're just simply merging with that motion. Then the opposite hand grabs the hold of the striking hand of the opponent on the center line. Why on the center line? 
that's because where you have maximum power, maximum control, you have maximum awareness of what happens there on the center line. So as you grab a hold of the opponent's striking arm, then you step back with a backward pull, performing the movement that we already studied. Instead of the stick, you hold the opponent's arm, forearm or, or wrist, or even hand. I always prefer to grab a hand rather than a forearm or the wrist because it gives me much better control over the opponent's arm. But the essence of the movement is simple. You just step back, extending the arm further than the opponent anticipated to go. He anticipated to run into the target or into an obstacle which would stop his movement. Instead of stopping his movement, the movement continues. As a matter of fact, you're helping him go further in the same direction. It will be hard for him to resist that because he would have to fight against his own momentum. And at the same time, it will be very unanticipated or surprising for him. And so what's going to happen is that most likely the person will just simply lose balance and fall over. And then you can continue working on helping the person relax on the ground. That's my simple and um, most elegant way to explain what we do in martial arts. We help the person relax, either standing or on the ground. We give them a choice. Would you like to relax standing or would you like to relax on the ground? If the person chooses to relax standing, that's wonderful. They will not be able to continue being aggressive because you cannot be aggressive when you're relaxed. If the person doesn't learn how to relax quickly enough, then instead of relaxing standing, they will fall over and we will help them relax on the ground. To relax on the ground, obviously, we can either twist the arm, performing an arm bar. Arm bar is something that we've done on ourselves. As you know, pronating arm to the extreme, and you can pronate the opponent's arm to the extreme. I teach Chinna, and that's something that will be particularly helpful to know in terms of how to help people relax on the ground and even standing. But it's beyond the scope of this short program. What happens if the person doesn't fall? They will basically have to run to catch up with the arm. That means they're not as tense as they uh, could be if they were really aggressive. So if a person manages to relax on their feet, oh, that's fine. Most likely they will not be continuing the aggressive action. And often people start laughing when they experience this type of maneuver because it's funny. They cannot be angry anymore. They cannot be uh, mean to another human being. When the person starts laughing, that's a pretty clear indication that the person is not going to attack you. So you can become friends instead of remaining opponents or enemies. Backward pull is just one of many examples of uh, self-defense maneuvers. Let me give you another example. Uh, For example, clothing. It's another excellent self-defense maneuver that uh, also allows you uh, to just simply brush off the striking arm past your body. You're not even fighting against that arm. You're not blocking that movement. You're just simply using the motion of the torso, just like, remember the centering exercise, where you simply pivot around the axis of your rotation, and if the person is pushing or striking you, you just simply spin off the energy. Well, the exact same thing happens with the clothing. Except we don't want to pivot in the direction uh, 
of the closing arm. We want to pivot in the opposite direction. So if we're closing with the left arm, we want to pivot to the right. We don't want to pivot to the left when we do closing with the left arm. How do we make sure that we need to pivot to the right? Well, we simply step sideways first. So if the strike is coming, if an opponent is striking you with the right arm, you step to the left with your left foot. That's so a natural step. And insert your left hand between the striking arm and your body. At the same time, pivoting to your right. Now, you're not putting your hand in harm's way. You're not touching the knuckles of the opponent. You put the hand, your hand slightly to the side of the knuckles or next to the wrist. And essentially what happens, you basically let the striking hand go past your body. Even just a few millimeters past your body will still be fine because there's not going to be any impact. As long as your hand performing the movement correctly, it will essentially allow the striking arm to simply graze you instead of striking. And the idea is not to push away. The idea is to keep it close. Now that's why we call it closing. We keep it close to the body. The hand stays really close to our torso. The elbow goes higher than the hand. And that literally means that the elbow gets on top of the striking arm of the opponent. From there, several options are possible. One of them, the opponent is very aggressive and will simply run into your elbow with the head and will knock himself out. <laughs> That's certainly possible and likely if the person is going at you with a lot of oomph. They will literally knock themselves out. If they don't come at you with that much momentum, they will not reach your elbow with their face, but the elbow will be pretty close to the face. And as you know, closing is the beginning of opening. So you can simply perform an opening with that elbow, or if the opponent is too far for the elbow strike, you simply move your hand, that same hand that you protected yourself with, and strike him with an opening into the head or face, uh, whatever distance they're at. So essentially, you're using the same arm for protection and for counter action. Of course, you can also use a pony, a, a other arm. So, for example, you can use one arm for defense and the other one for offense or strike. Or you can simply grab a hold of the opponent's arm and continue the movement, just keep on turning. What happens is when you keep on turning, the person will have to either run around you or will pull over because their arm will not even go straight. It will go at an angle in relation to their initial direction of the strike. So you basically are wrapping that person around you and they will either relax standing by being becoming so flexible and relaxed that they can literally just get wrapped around you and not pull over, or they will be too tense for that and will end up falling down on the ground, and then you can help them relax on the ground. It's just one of many applications of these movements that we study. You can see how... There may be other applications, anything from using uh, an uppercut, also an excellent uh, self-defense maneuver. Uppercut simply allows you to just insert your hand between the striking arm and your head and just brush off the strike. And, of course, you can move your head as well so you don't stand there like a dummy being a good target. You need to be a really bad target. <laughs> you need to be uncomfortable moving targets for the opponent. The same thing happens also with downward presses. Downward press works particularly well 
if the person is striking you with either a down or a press or with a strike in which his hand uh, turns so that the logon point of his hand points downward. For example, many karate strikes and many boxing strikes pronate the hand so that the palm turns down, logon point turns downward. This kind of fist strike or punch is an easy um, thing to handle by using downward press. You can simply grab a hold of that hand and push it further down. The person's energy is already going down to some extent. There may be some momentum forward, but because logon point is facing downwards, you can easily move it down further. And as you do that, it's most likely that what the opponent is going to do is lose balance or have to struggle to regain balance. When the person is struggling to regain balance, they're not fighting with you, they're fighting with gravity. <laughs> so you simply get a, a very strong ally, the Mother Earth. The gravity is the power of Mother Earth. If you use gravity as your ally or as your uh, friend, then the opponent is no longer fighting you as an individual. He's also fighting against gravity, fighting against the whole planet of Earth, which is a lot of uh, it's difficult. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very challenging to fight Earth. So what we do is we make it virtually impossible for them to fight us. We don't take it personally. We relegate the issue of attack to much greater power than our personal power. Now, this is something that obviously it can turn into another teleseminar on another itself. So I will wrap up this particular seminar dedicated to six directional movements with sticks or open hands. If you have any questions on this particular subject matter, please feel free to unmute yourself and ask any questions. If there are no questions, then I will wish you a great week, and I will look forward to seeing you next week in our next webinar. Until then, namaste.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.